I want you to think about when you first began to follow Jesus. Okay? Are you thinking about it? Now, I'm, I'm not assuming that everyone here is or even wants to follow Jesus, so to speak. But for those who do, think back to the early days of your faith story. So for some of you, you have this distinct and decisive point in which you began to follow Jesus. And there is life before that decision that's quite clearly different than life after. For others, it's less of a point and it's more of a slow build. Um, maybe even you don't remember a time that you didn't follow Jesus. For some of you, there was an alignment that took place where it was a little bit of both. It was a little bit of both a slow build and kind of a, a singular point in time. Maybe you grew up in the church and believed, but it took some time before your heart's desire really aligned with that belief. But whatever your story, can you remember a time early on when you knew you loved Jesus and felt the love of Jesus in a fresh and new way, but you didn't really know what to do with it? And you didn't really know what that meant for your life? So I'll let you think on that a little more. Let me share part of my story with you. I, I grew up in the church, um, in particular, a small town Methodist church. I, I went through confirmation Went to, uh, went to service every Sunday when I was a kid. We called it Big Church is what, what we went to. And, and then, of course, there was Children's Church. We went to Wednesday night dinner and Children's Choir and Bible studies. And I was a child of the church. But it wasn't until I was in sixth grade that I had a sort of alignment of my own. I was invited to go um, on a weekend trip to Panama City Beach with Youth for Christ, which was kind of like a young life uh, organization, and it was there that the leader asked us to close our eyes and picture Jesus on the cross. And I kind of think what he was looking for was that we would close our eyes and picture Jesus, sad Jesus, right, or angry Jesus, or I don't know. But when I closed my eyes and saw the face of Jesus and saw his, his eyes looking back at me, what I saw was love, a Jesus who loved me and desired me. Um, so, in this moment, it was as if all that I had learned about God up to that point was like a plant that suddenly burst through the soil. And it finally did. But the thing was, I just didn't know what to do with it, right? So, um, I said the prayer, we called it a night, we, we drove home the next day, and life just sort of continued on. And I I knew it was different, something was different, but I didn't really understand it. And as a sixth grader, I picked up the Bible, and you know what book I started with? Revelation. <laughs> it's amazing that I'm here now, you know? I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know what to expect. And reading the passage from Luke's Gospel today, I'm struck that many of those within earshot of Jesus are in, are in the same boat as I was. In fact, Luke tells us that Jesus had only just selected the 12 apostles out of the larger grouping of disciples who were following him. They were chosen to, in a sense, move into a deeper followership. And so it's, it's this really significant and pivotal moment in their lives. And yet I wonder, what did they really know? I mean, what, what did they expect was going to happen now? So I don't know what I would expect Jesus to say in this moment. I don't really know what I would have wanted to hear, but I'm not sure that I could have predicted this. 
Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. And if you're like me, you might think, what? That's what Jesus started with? Blessed are the poor? Woe to you who laugh? Like, what in the world, Jesus? I mean, how about a, a pep talk? We just step forward with you here. How about... Just a little miracle or two, maybe an encouragement, kind of locker room, kind of halftime, go get them. I mean, I, I was ready to follow you, but you're, you're suggesting that people are going to hate me because, because I follow you? Yes. And what we see Jesus do is flip the script of the world that these disciples know. And it isn't just the world that they knew then at that very moment, but it was also the world that was to come the world that is to come for us. And he gives them a new way, the real way of God, a kingdom unlike anyone they had ever expected. The poor are given all, the hungry will be filled to satisfaction, the weeping will have abundant reason to laugh, and also the rich will not become richer. Those who feast in abundance will experience hunger and need. Those who laugh carefree will find themselves mourning and weeping. And maybe when you hear this passage, you have a lot of questions like, what's the deal? You know, what are those woes all about? What, what does woe mean anyway? Did, does Jesus really mean to say that everyone who has these things won't have them anymore? Is this punishment or something? And all of those, all of those are good questions, and they're important questions. But what I think we need to do here in reading this is zoom out just a bit and see that Jesus is painting a picture for them of just how significant their lives have changed in choosing to follow him and just how significant their lives and all of creation will change if they continue to follow him. That what is up will be down and what is down will be up. Strange, unexpected, upside down. How about we put it this way? It is as strange as robes that are made white by being washed in blood. And yet it is real and here and coming and even greater. And the pathway to this new upside-down kingdom is Jesus. Jesus is the way. And so what he says next to them is in essence what it means to follow him. The very next words to his disciples is his answer to the so what, to the, to the what now. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. That's what he says next. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. 
Give to everyone who begs from you and from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. Jesus could have said anything else to this group of people who were expecting him to overthrow their worldly oppressors. Anything. And yet he says what? Love them. How? How can he say this to them? Because the spiritual reality of all of creation has shifted with his presence. And because nothing in the world can overcome him, because he is victorious on the cross and at the end of all ages, his invitation is to join him in the restoration of all that is wrong. If I could embellish a little bit on Jesus' words here, he says, the hatred that has settled into the hearts of people, the anger, the destruction, the greed, and the hunger for power and money and control, the worst impulses of human beings, follow me and see my love overthrow that. Who were these clothed in white robes? And from where have they come? I said to him, sir, you know. And he said to me, these are the ones coming out of great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb is in the midst of the throne, will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. I've had a hard time lately, as I imagine some of you may have as well, by being comforted um, in this theological truth of the already not yet, which is just a way of saying that that there are things that Christ has accomplished and that there are things that he has yet to accomplish. Because when little boys die and war ravages countries and hurting people perpetuate their cycle of hurt, I want to yell, Lord, do something. Step in. It's felt like it's not enough to say, church, bear this pain with one another. Be patient, wait. God will wipe away every tear. If I'm being honest, it's felt insufficient and weak. And yet, this is faith. That we might follow him to the end. Even as our resolve feels like it's failing. And we feel like we just can't take another step. Lord, what is going on? Follow him to the end follow him to the end, that we might trust him in his upside down ways, that we might do the hard work of loving where it would be otherwise easiest to hate. That's what it means to follow him. That's what it looks like to move deeper into life with Christ. It is holding all of these unresolved pieces in the tension of his love. That, that's what it looks like to be a saint of God. If I could go back in time to, to help Gabe in sixth grade understand it all, I'd tell him that following Jesus is the weirdest thing that he will ever do. And at times, the hardest thing. That there will seemingly be plenty of reasons in his life to not follow Jesus. 
but I would say, just take the next step. Take the next step. And that next step is love. Loving those that are hardest to love. Love. Putting, putting love into the world where it's not welcome. And then the next step after that is love. And then the next step after that is love. And along the way, what we'll find is, is that we'll leave a trail of love for others to find. And especially, church, these on the front row. We'll leave this trail of love leading on the pathway to God himself, and he will be our God. That is what the saints have done before us. That is what we're invited to do here and now in our time and place. And I pray that as we leave this church today, that you'll find a fresh resolve to do that. So may you find the upside down kingdom of God as a thing to behold and embrace. May you therefore love those most difficult to love. May you join with the saints who have gone before us and persevered to the end. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.